Let us pray. Let the good news come now, O God, not in word only, but in power and the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right. Okay. So I'm going to, uh, I've gotten three questions and when I run out of time or uh, making a botch of them, then I'll open it up for new questions to uh, to wrestle with. I'm going to be working from the Pew Bibles, so um, I'll call out page numbers. Remember when I do that, that the back third or so is the New Testament and it's got a whole new set of numbers, so um, if I say 200, you have to know front or back. So, all right. Um, so we have three questions and uh, so far. So the first one says this. It says, we are... Perrin, mostly, happy that Hitler and Stalin died. Um, okay, I would agree with the mostly. But is this unchristian, and if not, should we be ashamed of wishing the death of modern dictators like King Kim Jong-un? What should a Christian think of evil people? All right. What should a Christian think of evil people? All right. Um, that's, a, that's a great question. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer it two ways, right and wrong. Uh, so, uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with, um, with, uh, Matthew 5. So, um, turn to page 5 in the back half, or the back third. So we're gonna look at, um, the, the overall instruction that Jesus gives, um, in this area. Uh, so page 5, Matthew 5, reading in verse 43. He said, uh, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus instructs us right there not not only to love the people that are lovable um, and not even to love the people who you really have no strong opinions about one way or the other, but actually to love your enemies. And Jesus famously illustrated this on the cross where on the cross he said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. People who were in the process of torturing him to death, Jesus said, forgive them. Because Jesus loved them. The first, the first martyr in the church, Stephen, was being stoned to death by a crowd of his enemies. And he prayed the exact same prayer. He said, forgive them, they, they don't know what they're doing. So, so, uh, the, the teaching is pretty clear that, um, that we are to love our enemies. Um, I guess there's a, there's a question. Is Kim Jong-un really your enemy? Um, because I think most of us, we, we hear about him on the TV and, and we know he should be or he, we know he's a bad person and once in a while it makes the news something, some atrocity or we hear about starvation or something that's been going on. And so we know he's a bad person, but I'm not even sure for most of us if we care enough for, for the bad people to truly be bad people. So maybe there's a, there's a, there's a lesson there. Should we care about people who are in in bad circumstances enough that that the people who are putting them in those circumstances actually become our enemies as well. 
So, so I think maybe part of the question is, is we don't dislike Kim Jong-un enough. If we, if we had people who were uh, relatives of ours living in North Korea, then we might feel differently about him. And certainly, if we were living there, we might feel differently. And I think part of what we're called to is some some solidarity, to, to be able to put ourselves in other people's shoes enough that he can even be an enemy. And you, know, you can multiply this for all the other, uh, all the other circumstances. The, the name, some of you uh, may have noticed, it's been my practice to preach, uh, I mean, to, to pray for a large church in our nation. At the conference I was at this week, I had a conversation with a gentleman from India whose name was on the page, but I won't attempt to repeat it. Um, uh, and, and he was telling me about some, some genuine um, oppression that his congregation has been facing because of the, the BJP, the, the ruling party in India, is an explicitly Hindu nationalist party. Uh, for whatever, 70 years, India has been a multi-religious, multi, uh, multi-ethnic um, state. But the the BJP is explicitly committed to making India a Hindu state, and so they have been um, uh, not not the government, but they've been not doing a good job of of enforcing the laws that pro- pro- protect Christian minorities. So um, so there are people in the world, and when I'm talking to this guy, I'm kind of ashamed because. You know, this is news to me. I haven't paid any attention to what's going on in India. So, so I, I would say the first question is, do you even have the right enemies? But then the second question is, what should you do? Should you, you, the answer is you should love them. And the reason for this ultimately is because that, Jesus says this, this makes us like uh, our Father in heaven. And I want to turn to another passage before we go on. Um, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago. So if you turn to the book of Romans in chapter 5, and that is on page um, page 155 toward the back, 155. Jesus says that we are to be like our children, our children of our Father in heaven. And this is what he means by it. Paul, Paul says that, um, he says, uh, starting in, in verse 6 of chapter 5 of the book of Romans, page 155, he says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So uh, Paul is saying, you know, it's easy now to look back and say, I'm not a bad person. Of course Christ died for me. But that's because you're not in rebellion, or you're not in as in rebellion to the same degree that you were when Christ died for you. That we made ourselves God's enemies, and God loved us. So, by loving our enemies, we can we can be like children of our Father in heaven. I'm going to close with this. I read a, I read a daily devotional um, uh, by Craig Groeschel. And in today's uh, devotional, he was talking about a family member who was uh, abused by a, another family member. And he talks about the struggle he had. He, he's not saying that this is an easy thing to do, that, that this is a hard thing to do, but it is a godly thing to do. And he said it took years to get to the point where he could honestly forgive the person who had harmed his family member. And so there's no expectation that that you would say, okay, there we go. 
solve that problem, you know, which I wasn't sure, should I forgive them or not? Oh, I'm supposed to forgive them? Okay, there, done. Um, that's harder than it sounds. And the, the, the lesson there is God gives us things that are harder than we can do because he, he doesn't expect us to do them by ourselves. He gives us tasks that we can only complete with his help. So uh, if you find yourself um, forgiving, uh, having difficulty forgiving someone, then that's probably a good sign. This would be a place where you could say, God, I can't do this. I need your help. So forgive your enemies, not because it's easier, not because they deserve it, but because it is what God does. So uh, what should Christians think of evil people? Um, you can think they're evil, but uh, do forgive them or work toward forgiving them. All right, question two is an actual passage. Luke chapter 9, 59 to 62. So let's find that. So Luke chapter 9. Okay. That is on page 70 in the New Testament portion. So 59. All right. So I'm going to read the whole little paragraph that they've marked out for us. So um, starting in 57, listen for God's word. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home, at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So um, the question is, this seems really harsh. Why is it so? So Jesus has said to these would-be followers um, to do something that uh, that it seems really harsh. So uh, let's walk through it. So. Um, the first one says, I will follow you wherever he, wherever you go. And Jesus says to him, uh, you're going to not have the creature comforts you're expecting. Um, he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's interesting, the way Luke pass, uh, tells us this, he doesn't say what the person's response was. We know that there's another place where Jesus says, uh, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. And the person goes away and says, no, I'm not going to do that. But in this passage, Luke doesn't tell us whether or not uh, these people follow Jesus after all. But Jesus is telling them up front, um, there's not going to be, you know, we won't be staying at the Ritz-Carlton. So, um, or flying a, a Gulf Stream, by the way, Pastor. So, um, so he says, foxes have holes, birds of the year have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But that guy said, first let me go and bury my father. Uh, what does he mean by that? Um, this is this is the olden days, right? They didn't have refrigeration. In fact, uh, the, the Jewish law required somebody to be buried uh, the same day. So uh, he's not saying, I'll be right back. He's saying, in a few months or maybe a few years, the old man's going to kick it, and then I'll bury him. So come back to me in a few years when I've taken care of these problems that are going on in my life. And uh, Jesus is saying, you know, let the dead bury their, their own dead. He's saying, he's saying that I've offered you something that cannot wait, and it certainly can't wait until your dad dies, because that could be years. He's saying, he's saying, 
you have to make a decision right now. This is important. Are you going to go where I call you or not? And then um, somebody else says, I will follow you, but let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus says to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I have to tell you, I have preached on this passage here in this church, and I'm trying to remember what I said about the third one. But uh, right now, without having done any more study than this, um, it looks to me like basically the same. The same. I, I don't know if there's any more to it, really, than the second objection, uh, where Jesus is saying, make this a priority. So uh, does it seem harsh? Um, yeah, Jesus says that he came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Jesus talks sometimes about how um, you have to make a hard decision. Um, that that uh, that you can't. You know, no one can serve two masters. Jesus is is regularly telling people that um, you know you can't be a little bit pregnant. You can't be partly a follower. He's saying you either have to be all in or not. And I think I think it would be it would be wrong for me to let you leave this room thinking that that has changed in the last 2000 years that that uh, you know churches are filled with with tepid christians who are you know more or less christian on on a good day you know and i i don't exempt myself from that statement that i think a lot of us would be hard put to say honestly i'm sold out that the answer to any question god gives me is yes it's very hard to make that claim and be honest about it. You know, I will go wherever you call. I will follow wherever you lead. That's that's what Christ is calling us to do. And Jesus is saying, yes, that's exactly what I'm calling you to do. And it may seem harsh, but remember, Jesus, you know, and this is, there's, there's another passage, and I can't remember where it is. Um, Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, Yes. And the context is, he's, he said that no one who, no one who follows him will fail to be rewarded. And he says you'll get, you'll get, um, uh, if you leave father and mother and, and children and home and so forth, you'll be rewarded a hundredfold with, with, uh, and he lists the family members and I'm gonna, I'm gonna botch it, so I'll just refer you vaguely. Go look that passage up. Um, so, so, uh, Jesus says you will receive a reward. And there's any number of places in the scriptures where Jesus says there is a reward. So, he is saying, he is saying, um, he's saying, yes, this is hard. You can't be partly a disciple. You're either in or you're out. And, and that seems harsh to us. But remember also, Jesus is making a very strong claim of reward. He's saying, not just in, in eternal life. He specifically says in that passage, you'll be rewarded today. And in the life to come, so uh, it is hard, it is harsh, but uh, but it's what Jesus um, what Jesus says. All right. The last question of these three, and we'll have time for more, or I can stumble even longer. All right. So this question is: What does it mean to take refuge in the Lord? So there's a scripture verses. Uh, Psalm 18. So let's turn to the Psalms. So this is the front half. So Psalm 18 is on page 490, 497. And the verse is uh, verse 2. Alright. So, when I was doing prison ministry, when we had to all turn to the same page in the Bible, the, the practice was 
as you get there, sing out Amen. And then the last person to sing out Amen, you know, when it got silent again, we'd know we were ready to, to go on. So, so amen. amen. There we go. Okay, so somebody's found it. We'll see how quickly everybody else finds it. Okay. All right, well, uh, I'm going to assume that you did that while I was drinking. So, all right, Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So, you know, someday I have to look up the word horn. You know, because we're not, we're not agriculturalists. I just don't even understand. You know, I read it all through the, the Old Testament, and I just don't understand culturally what was significant about a horn being a sign of strength and power. So I assume if you've got livestock, you know, you've got animals that are big and strong and they've got horns, but I, I really don't know. So um, the rest of these are pretty straightforward. My rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn, whatever that is, in my stronghold. So the only one of those that's not obvious is the horn, and maybe maybe some of you actually understand horn. But um, So what does it mean to take refuge in the Lord, and how do we practically apply that to our lives? So uh, how do we take refuge in the Lord? Um, I think, you know, I don't know, I, none of these have, have um, none of these are signs, so I don't know, I don't know the person's situation. So if you need to take refuge, you know, please forgive me. I don't know your, your story. I don't know uh, what your concern is. But um, I think kind of like the question about the evil people, I wonder how much we don't think we need refuge, that we think we can pretty well handle things on our own. Um, and, and my prayer is that, is that, um, when my son was baptized, the, the, the pastor had this, uh, charge, uh, that he delivered after the baptism where he said, may you see enough of failure to keep his, may, may he, the, the boy being baptized, may he have enough of failure to keep his hand clenched in yours and enough of success to know that he walks with you. And I think the problem we have is we like the success part. We like the idea that God is blessing me, you know, I, you know, I bought a lottery ticket and then I won and, you know, all those things, right? We like that half of it. But we don't like the idea of having enough of failure to keep our hand clenched in God. So I think we do end up asking this question, what does it mean to take refuge in God? And I think most of us, we take refuge to the extent we do in other things, you know, I just got canned, but I've got a 401k and I can do a transfer out and, and we'll pay a tax hit, but, but I can live off that for a while. Or, um, uh, she broke up with me when I thought, you know, this was the one, but, but there are other fish in the sea where we, we don't say, we don't say that this is something that God has done, um, uh, or God has allowed to happen because God wants to move our life in a particular direction. We say, this is a place for me, based on my own resources, to resolve whatever the problem is that I'm facing. And so, um, to take refuge in the Lord is to do the opposite. It's to say, it's to say, I just got canned, but God 
has a purpose for this. That God wants to do something in my life. God wants to work something in me. And uh, I will get through this somehow or another. That God has something for me in this terrible circumstance. It doesn't mean I like the cir- circumstance. But to say, there's something for me in this. So to take refuge in the Lord is to say, these bad circumstances that I don't like have something for me because God is sovereign. God is in control and nothing happens. No sparrow falls without his notice. And so to take refuge in the Lord here is to do that. So how do we practically apply that in our lives? Um, uh, I think it, the example often is just to say, uh, to say, to be a Pollyanna. To say, to say, you know, something good will come of this. Uh, that, that God is, God is at work in the world. Um, it may mean something else. Um, you get canned, and it may mean asking your church for help. Saying, starting out by saying, you know, I'm looking for a new job, and and I'd appreciate it if anybody could help me, you know, get pointers to to a new thing in this industry or whatever. Or we don't have enough money to pay the rent, and and I'd like some help. Can anybody help me with that? Um, our car broke down, and I can't afford to get it fixed right now. Can I borrow your car? I think pride keeps us from taking refuge. Again, we're thinking, I can somehow manage this circumstance on my own. And I think to take refuge in the Lord includes taking refuge in the body of Christ and saying, can you give me some practical help for my practical problems? So that would be another way we might take, uh, in terms of practical application, um, to do that. To do that. Um, so those are the three that I got written down. Um, hopefully I've angered you, and now you're going to say, but wait a minute, what about? Um, I'd like this to be a little more dialogical than it has been in the past. So are there in anything I've brought up that, that you take issue with or that is sparking a, uh, a response? We've got about uh, maybe five more minutes that we can do this. So I'd like to kick it around a little bit because I'd like it to be more two-way. Any other, any other comments on this? So, yes, Marjorie. Okay, so so yeah, uh, to to say to yourself um, to combine the idea of the the reward that God God is is making me more like Jesus, and in this particular area, um, God is going to be moving me in that direction, and I'm interested, I'm excited to see how this is going to turn out. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I think I think one of, one of the problems that that we have when when bad things happen to us is we can. We can replay it in our mind, or we can stress about the future. And I think one of the things to be, to take refuge in the Lord is to live in the present. It's to say, you know what, right now, I'm not starving. Right now, um, I'm, I'm still alive. And if I die this moment, my eternal security is in the hands of my Savior. So, so why not just savor this moment and not worry about, well, if only I had done that, they wouldn't have fired me. Or if, if, you know, if I don't get a job in the next, you know, six months, then I'll lose my Cobra coverage or whatever. And then, you know, I'll die terribly, you know. So, so to say, you know what, I'm going to take refuge in God by living in the moment. And I think there's something to be said for that, to actually experience the present in a way that sometimes we don't when we're anxious. So, um, so that's something we could do. What, what else, what else, uh, what other questions do people have? What other ideas or things do you want to talk about? Ask me anything. Okay. Well, I, 
I am never angry. Neil Iris, be quiet. Be quiet. Don't say a word. Okay. All right. So, so, um, let's, let's look at anger. Um, my go-to verse is in Ephesians, and I forget where it's at. It's Ephesians 3, Ephesians 2. So somebody, somebody who knows where I'm headed. So, uh, alright. Oh my goodness. Ephesians 4? Alright. Okay, so, um, so Ephesians 4, 194. Uh, sorry, page 194. So Ephesians 4, rules for the new life. They put these little headings to help us find things. So uh, this is a rule for the new life. So the old life, you can be angry all you want. <laughs> but I'm going to assume your question was about the new life. So um, so let's take a look at this. So Paul says uh, to the church in Ephesus, he says this. So then, putting away falsehood, let us uh, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one of, of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. And you just have to pause. I love that Paul is writing to a church where he knows there are people in the audience who are thieves. I, I think that that is such a great picture of the 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 inclusiveness of the church that you know well Bob you know he's a bank robber you know or you know uh, you know I just love that idea of a church that is that inclusive um, you know we we talk about inclusive but do we think about you know the thieves in the midst listening to the letter so he says he says uh, thieves must work with their own hands let no evil talk come out of your mouths but only what is useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. So if you can fit a, somewhere in that collection of words, if you can carve out a tiny little piece that, that, cover, you, that isn't covered there, he says, and be, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, um, yeah, you know, one of the things as a pastor, I, I, I do a lot of Bible studies, and one of the things is people, it's a safe sin. You know, so you're reading a Bible study, you know, you're learning from the book of whatever, and people say, you know, they never say, you know, I'm an adulterer, I'm a thief, uh, you know, whatever, whatever their particular sins are, right? They don't ever say those things. They say... I struggle with anger because it's somehow a safe sin. I don't know how come it's a safe sin because it's pretty clear that we're not supposed to do it. Um, and, and yet at the same time, that says something, right? You know, I think a lot of people today, it's like, well, you know, I heard somewhere some psychiatrist or maybe it was the guy on, you know, Dr. Oz or anyway, I forget where, but somehow I heard it's not a good thing to bottle up my emotions. So I should, I should, you know, it's a genuine emotion. That guy cut me off in traffic. Um, I got fired unjustly. That guy got the promotion that he shouldn't have had. And this is righteous indignation. I mean, it's only, it's only fair, right? And, and, and so, so we think to ourselves that, that, that I'm somehow required to be angry. That, that, that if this isn't a, this isn't something where it's like, um, I chose to be angry. 
you know, I was tempted to be angry and then was. We think it's somehow some spontaneous thing that bubbles up out of us and we have no choice but to give vent to it. And yet, these poor, deluded people who wrote our Bible seems to think it's something we actually can do something about. So, so, um, so what do we do with that? So what does he say? He says, be angry, but do not sin. And then he explains how all these other things, you know, all the kinds of being angry you're thinking about don't work, that they would fall in the category of being, of, of, um, of, of anger. He says, he says, do not let the sun go down in your anger. He's saying, there is a degree to which it is, it is spontaneous. But when you get up tomorrow morning, it's not going to be spontaneous anymore. Okay? So, so, yes, you just got laid off unjustly. You just got dumped unceremoniously by the person you thought was the one. You, you just got ripped off by a family member. Okay? And you're angry. Yes, there's a there's a, a a brief period of time during which that is that is uncontrollable emotion, but it is brief. And he says to put a put an upper bound on it. He says he says don't let the sun go down in your anger. So have people get you angry early in the day, and you'll have you'll have you'll have more time for doing that. But but the idea here is that's there is some degree of spontaneity to it, and you're just going to have to deal with that. But he says, he says, don't camp out there. Um, you know, the problem, how many of you ever had a toothache that you bit down on because it hurt, but it was a different kind of hurt and it felt better? Right? You know, have you ever had that kind of toothache? I had a, I had an abscess develop on a Friday night, which is when they develop. Um, and by Monday, I had bitten down on that tooth a long time. And I think that's what anger is like, is that it's like, it doesn't change anything, it doesn't make anything better, but it just feels so good to just seep in my anger for a while. And what he's saying is don't do that. That, that you don't want to get stuck in that, in that pot of seething anger because you might. And so don't. He says, he says, be angry. Life's gonna do things to you that's gonna make you angry. But then let it go. And um, he says, do not make room for the devil. And then this long list, put away all the bitterness and, and um, so forth. So um, how do you do that? Uh, you know, the, 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 the thing I mentioned before, this, this uh, pastor, Craig Rochelle, he talks about how it took years for him to get over every time he thought about, he says, we'll call him Max. I don't know if, if you know a Max, it's, it's a pseudonym, but he says, every time I thought about Max, I just got so angry because of what he did to my sister. And he said, it took him years to get to a point where he could let it go, truly. But, but, um, but you have to do it because the alternative is Max controls not only your, your past, but he controls your future too. And, and so he says, don't do that. And, and, um, so you try to, you, you try the best you can. And then you use all the usual tools, you know, counsel of friends, you know, it's, it's great to have somebody who says, are you sure now's the best time for you to write that email? You know, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, you know, um, you know, you know, there are things like that. There are, you know, you can have the counsel of friends, you can have, you can have, um, I'm going to go for a walk. Um, I'm going to count to 10 in Spanish, but first I have to learn Spanish. You know, <laughs> you know there, there are all, all kinds of things you can do to, 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 to get a grip on it, right? 
But I think most of the time we give in to it. You know, I, I, I routinely tell my, I, I apologize to my family because they do something that ticks me off. And then I say to myself, if Marjorie did that to me, or if Patrick did, I would have shook it off. But you're my family member, so I have the privilege of being angry with you. And so I think maybe to say, why not be on, the, on your best behavior with people you love as opposed to people you don't? Um, maybe that would be a good place to start. So, all right. That's asking me anything for today. We've got a few minutes and we're going to wrap up our worship service. So, um, 